That's it, ladies and gentlemen. It's Cornadirand on a screen, um, all the way from Twickenham. First time we're doing this. Um, it's an exciting week for us at Rugby Coffee. We have just uh, did, uh, done our uh, first North American roast after all the tests, the one that we can send out to people to really try, that we're happy with. And our master roaster, um, Pete, he's been busy. He even made some video videos for us, uh, which was cool. Um, and yeah, apart from that, we are also doing this video first video uh, podcast and I've got two people there, people you might know. Um, we've got Dallin Stanford and Joe Harvey. Both of them are very passionate about the game. They, You can see uh, Dallin there with his Free Jacks uh, shirt. Um, and then both of them are in the the broadcasting or journalist um, journalism sort of uh, areas of the game. So I want to thank them both for, for, for being on this podcast and um, something that we're very excited about learning a bit more, I think. Joe? Yeah, God, I don't know what you'll learn from me, but I mean, Dan <laughs> might be the man to go to, but uh, yeah, it's really exciting. I've not done like this kind of a podcast in a while. It's really exciting. I'm, I'm really glad to see Dallin again, someone I've known for quite a long time now. We've known each other a bit longer than we probably care to admit at this point, but thank you very much for having me on. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks so much, Corne. It It is great to see you both. And Joe, it's kind of funny. We haven't spent a lot of time obviously in person, but I've seen all your videos. We've chatted a lot online. We've you know, that sort of stuff. And uh, I must say, you make me laugh when you do your review videos. They're so great. So such quality. So keep going strong there, my friend. Thank you. No, uh, people, if you don't know, Joe Harvey is a journalist, a rugby journalist based in the UK. Um, he is has also got some affiliation with the North American um, sort of part of the world. Um, Dallin is a rugby coffee brand ambassador. He's also a world rugby commentator. You know, MLR now um, coming up as well. Um, Going to be busy with that. Um, and World Sevens Series. Um, so uh, two guys who can talk about rugby for sure. Um, and Joe has got his own podcast, Talk Rugby Union, as well. And um, it's been fascinating this last year, all the podcasts coming out and all the different things people can talk about and just seeing the passion about the game, first of all, the people within the game and where it's going. There's a lot of questions around where it's going. So, Joe, you're passionate about the game. We know that. But why journalism and why? Yeah. That's a good question. That's the question my uh, my parents ask me every time they ask for rent. To be honest, um, so yeah. To be honest, I, I looked. At, I was looking at this during lockdown. Obviously, everyone knows in England we've had these lockdowns and all this kind of this this nonsense. That's you know very beneficial nonsense. Uh, it does just drive you a bit crazy after a while, which is why I'm probably going to go a bit mental at some point during this call. <laughs> but um, I re I remember during the lockdown period that when I was younger, so probably. 12 years ago now um I, I used to like write articles just like on pieces of paper and that was it and then for a while I wanted to be a social worker and work with kids in care and do all that kind of stuff 
And then one day my head just went, there was just literally like a light switch and I wanted to do journalism. So I enrolled in a journalism course at, the, at a place called the University of Derby in the East Midlands. And then just one day just ended up writing about rugby for a, I wrote a match report of Canada's game against Ireland, which was an autumn international friendly. And just started a rugby blog from there and then got picked up by Talking Rugby Union, who I still do stuff for now. And that's just kind of where it all started. It's all just gone from there, really. And obviously, there's always been that North American connection. And then, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of just gone like that, really. And you like it? Yeah, I do, to be honest. Like, there's some days, like the day we're recording this, I mean, there's some days where, you, where you've got literally 5,000 words transcribed from interviews and you've got to write three articles out of that. There's some days like that where you kind of think, I probably should just, you know, work at Tesco's or something like that and just, you know, pick up a, a regular wage every week. But it, I, I, yeah, I love it. Like, I mean, every week it's something different. You get to tell a different story. And yeah, it's just, it's so rewarding personally, just being able to to do that, especially at the age of 22, which, you know, like I, I just get to do what I want, for, like what I did, what I would have done at uni for fun, but for a living. <laughs> Amazing. Now, Dallin, you've you, you've known him for a while. Um, have you seen a d- difference in how he reports stuff? Um, well, I first want to say I like when Joe says when he was younger. He's twenty two years old, by the way. So, like, that's ridiculous. First of all, to you know, to get into your passion and to start at that young age, that is an absolute blessing, and that's amazing. One thing I'm going to say, which I already mentioned earlier, is the videos that he's doing are just bloody hilarious because he's got a script and it's very tough to talk on camera. And also, you don't want to read the words at the same time. You want to sound natural. Um, And so it's so good. I just love that he rolls with it and just, you know, has fun with it. Because at the end of the day, I think what's more important than what you say um, is obviously how you make people feel. So people laugh and they're really get a sense of who Joe is and the, and the personality is, that's that's amazing. You want that because you're going to be working this career for the rest of your life. And so that is a really cool thing. And so obviously your content's great, but I just love how you bring that about. That's really, really so so special. Thank you. Awesome. And Dallin, you, you, you're obviously jumping to the bit to just get out and do a live game for, you know, what is going to be a very exciting season in the MLR. So you've, in our one of our first podcasts, you were part of it, and you mentioned there how come you got involved. But what is it that you've now that you've been in the business of um, you know broadcasting? What is it that keeps it interesting for you? Well, firstly, I want to say you know, and Joe touched on as well. When you do something you love, it's not a job anymore per se. It's it's you just love it, and the time goes by very fast. So. Being behind the mic and calling a rugby game, to me, feels like home and natural and so much fun and the time flies by. Yes, you spend three or four days prepping for the game and all that sort of hard work in, but you like it, so you love it. You're excited to do it. Um, I've had a lot of other rugby jobs um, and other uh, things as well that I've done um, which have not really been as exciting where you look at the time and you're like, okay, I've got to slog through this. I've got to get this done as part of your duties. But when it comes to broadcasting, it's thrilling. And I think that's kind of what keeps me going back. It's, you know, outside of playing where you're on the field and, you, you know, you're having that that special moment, you're in a big stadium, there are lots of people watching, uh, your, your teammates are there, you know, camaraderie and the game is so fun. I think commentary is the next, for me personally, is the next best thing because you're still in that seat, you're bringing the game to the two people watching, um, you get to you know, build up the players, you get to talk about the rivalries, uh, you get to be such an integral part of the game, which I think is so cool. And again, there's no pressure when you're playing there's a lot of pressure you know I, I'm, I remember playing club rugby which is great fun and, and brilliant but when we got to the international seven stage there was that pressure and that 
you know, fear of losing and fear of making a mistake. Um, and that you put that pressure on yourself, obviously, um, but you are representing your country and your name and that sort of stuff. So um, that I would say is tricky. Where broadcasting, you just, you're there to have fun and, 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 you know, hopefully provide some sort of entertainment as well. So that kind of keeps me going back and each game is, is live. So that's what I love too. It's, it's thrilling. You never know who's going to win a sevens world series. You don't know who's going to win a rugby world cup um, or MLR fixture. Um, anybody could win on the day. And I think that's what kind of makes it so exciting and so thrilling to be a part of. Yeah. You, you're basically voicing the adrenaline, don't you? Um, yes. You know, and, and there's nothing worse than a commentator just being, monotone and you know you can't get excited about it you might be excited there but then all of a sudden this commentator is just you know putting water on the fire you know um but anyway so uh, coming up is obviously the six nations and and the mlr and i was i was just thinking you know um how much time do you spend beforehand for instance in your job Dallin? Um, preparing for for a game or a weekend or a series of games, and in your case, um, Joe, how do you prepare for that? And then afterwards, what is the work that you have to put in um, afterwards? You know, because obviously yours is voiced most of the time after a game. You've got a preview, but then you have a report. You know, so those are the questions I, I I'm quite interested in. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first here. Um, so very good question. So there are obviously different events that we all work on, right? And and that really just depends on obviously what's happening on the calendar. So for example, like a Rugby World Cup event, um, where I got a chance to work with Joel Stransky and Santiago Gomez Cora in Japan. That was completely different because you you travel for 30 days for a month. We covered the pool stages to 10 games. And you're preparing uh, for your 10 matches, obviously. But in the matches, you're featuring, we had 16 of the 20 countries play. So you've got, what, a four or 500 players. So you're preparing for the players, you're preparing for the officials, you're preparing for the stadiums they're playing at, preparing for their rivalries between each other and what the significance it has to the Rugby World Cup. So a lot of people that tune in, and and I know one of your questions later is about keyboard warriors or people, everybody has a comment and an opinion, but what they don't understand is how much work goes in behind it. You don't just rock up and call a game for two hours. You've spent that full week. You have a week's prep time is what I'd say. Because when you get really busy in the landscape, they're following, let's say it's not a World Cup, but you're doing MRR this weekend. The next weekend, you're doing a Sevens World Series event. Then it's MR again. So you really have a week to prepare for each big event. When it comes to a World Cup or a Sevens uh, uh, tournament, think about that. Sevens, we did the men and women combined, which while that's exciting and I love that they're playing together and I love that they're in the same stadium, for a commentator, it's a nightmare because <laughs> you've got 28 teams now, right? 16 men and 12 women preparing. That's 400 players. And again, I don't know how to pronounce 400 no. different nationalities' names per se. Uh, you know, So all that gets very tricky and complicated. And so um, I would say weeks prep, and then when it comes to the day before, you generally do, you go to the stadium and you do a sound check and you, you check your equipment. Um, you, you and your commentator might do a, a little run through. You, 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 you then obviously in the build-up speak to the coaches. Now, if it's a test match, it's much easier. USA play Canada. You chat to the USA coach, Canadian coach. You, you, know, you compare notes with your, your co-commentator and that's much easier. Sevens World Series or, or you don't really get the chance to speak to all the coaches. You're at the same hotels with them. So you get to chat here and there during the week to, to the, some of the players and the coaching staff. Um, and then you're there several hours before the game because you have to do your tests. Uh, you have to make sure everything works nicely. You hang around. You may chat to you know some of the players when they take the field. And then afterwards, you're still doing highlights and doing a few things. So the, the day the day is very long. 
And when it comes to a Sevens World Series, you repeat that day two to three times because it's, you know, two or three day, day tournament. So by the end of it, you are so gassed. And then your friend's like, hey, come for a little beverage. And you're like, I can't talk. My voice is shattered. Uh, and so you're so bugged. So, yeah, the prep that goes into it, people don't see the prep. But hopefully it comes through in the broadcast when you can bring out um, the stats and bring out, the, you know, the stories behind the players and, and the rivalry, you know. But um, it, it does all lead to uh, to, to a, a, a a thrilling call when you have all the information at your fingertips. And my biggest thing is like, I have too much information. And so like, I only use 20% of it and you feel like it's a waste, but you know, maybe you get to call that team later in the season. That's amazing. Have you ever seen Bill Clarence's um, preparation sheets? I've seen them in front of me like that. And it's just amazing, you know. I have the same thing. Exactly. So you're right. I've seen his notes and he's written by hand. Mm. And, and I suppose... Back then, you probably didn't play as many. There weren't as many matches, and there weren't, you know. And, and again, I don't know his schedule, but because we're doing every single week, I use the. I just put him on the computer because, again, your team twenty three is going to be pretty similar to the next week if it's a fixture. Uh, and so then you have the notes from the previous week that are there, and you can update them. You change the stats, um, but you're meticulous about that. And I, do, I didn't make a big cardboard, but I do have uh, folders. Um, in fact, I've got vanilla folders right here that you open up, so you get the two team sheets. Um, and then, of course, uh, you have a bunch of other stats. And as I said, I've just, I sometimes stick them on the windows in front of me. There are notes everywhere. My co-commenter is like, can I use any of this space? I'm like, no, no, this is not going to have all these notes here. <laughs> Can't see the game anymore because there's too many, too many sticky notes. How about you, Joe, your prep? Well, see, my prep now seems very inconsequential in comparison <laughs> because all I'll do is I'll read like a, a preview piece on the team's websites, and then I'll look at the past form of the team's and then that's pretty much it because you rock up on the day and everything else that's, you know, in front of you is, is just going to happen. And if you're doing like a live tweet, like say you're live tweeting a game, I was at, I was at Wasps Gloucester at the weekend, for example. If you're just live tweeting, you're not, you're not kind of looking through stats and saying, well, you know, two years ago, they kicked the ball 67% of the time. But that might be, that's more relevant for the commentators. But for when you're live tweeting things, it's just a case of, oh, he's kicked it. He's kicked it again. Um, he's carried it this time, and now he's kicked it. And that's just kind of the way it goes. And then you're writing a match report kind of at the same time. And all that has to contain is what happened in the game. No one's really that first. If you have access to the stats quickly, you'll whack them in there because they're often like really interesting. But you just try and go for the big talking point. So, for example, in that game I was at the weekend, Ollie Thorley got sent off for what I thought was the opposite man getting pinged for by the TMO. So, like, that's... That's the thing you'll focus on. Oli Thorley got a contentious red card, and that's what you'll talk about for the rest of the, the piece and say this, that, and the other about it. Was it the right decision? But ultimately, the decision's happened. So, you know, there is also that logic of you can't do anything about it, but this is what's happened. In retrospect, could it get pulled back? You don't know. Uh, and then after that, that's pretty much it for me. Sometimes you'll get quotes after the game, and then you'll put them in afterwards a little later on. But generally, you kind of just watch the game, get some quotes, and then you're kind of on your way home. And often, when I'm doing my research for a game, I'm on the train on the way there, and I'm just on my phone, just kind of scrolling through Leicester Tigers' Twitter feed or something like that, and saying, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. And then that's it, and you just kind of lock it in. That's how my head works anyway, but everyone's got different processes. Of course. And uh, and do you write um, for anybody specific, or is it for your blog? Oh yeah, so so I mainly write for for Talking Rugby Union, which is um which is a completely online based kind of uh, website news rugby news website, um and they're they're the people I've been with since I was nineteen now. So yeah, like I've, I've always written for them, and then they give me these opportunities and just say, do you fancy going to a game at the weekend? And I'm like, 
Yeah, because as I've said before, I'm 22. It's not like I've got loads going on in my life where I'm just going to say, oh, no, sorry, I've got to take the kids somewhere because, you know, that that's your excuse, Corne. I don't have that excuse. Um, so I, I end up traveling. I mean, I used to travel, I think, seven days of the week, which was the way things used to be before COVID. But now it's it's once a week if I'm lucky. But, um, yeah, I'm only right for them. Uh, and then I used to do match reports for, for MLR last season. This season, they don't want me to do those. But, yeah, I used to do those from afar. And that, those were some late nights through, up until three in the morning. Um, this time last year, up until three in the morning, three hours sleep, woke up again. And I was on my way to London to watch England-Wales twice with the men and the women. Um, and that seems a long time ago. And I'm very grateful for all that. <laughs> You're talking about uh, three years ago. You should have you should you should have just said when I was young, like you said earlier, instead of when I was nineteen. <laughs> well, Look, um, now, obviously, um, you get you guys get to go, um, you know, when it's on, and you can get to a stadium or to a game. Um, you get to meet different people. You get to meet characters. You get to see and stay in different places, and you got to see people. Off the field, you got to see you, you. You've got that opportunity. You in that uh, environment where you're reporting um, or commentating. Um, you you've you've met a lot of people. And my question to you is: Are there any people that that you learned of? And are there any people that you have stories of or characters that you just either respect or? Just, just funny people that you enjoy seeing when you're on the uh, um, going out to a game. Somebody you might see every time, or you know, you might have somebody like that, um, uh, Dallin, um, But you might have plenty, you know. So give us an idea. Okay, so let's see. Well, firstly, I think part of your question uh, is is a good one too. Is is who have you learnt off and and that sort of thing? And and I, I'm definitely so grateful um, for. All the commentators I got a chance to work with, particularly when I started out about nine years ago, I, I did. There was no school I went to for commentary. I did. I, I wanted to do, to do journalism like Joe did, but I didn't get a chance to study that. I did marketing and advertising, and so my background in broadcasting was literally as an ex-player. I knew a little bit about the game, and I have the energy and passion and excitement, and so that's all I had. I didn't really have the technical expertise, and and you know, they they there's a lot of behind the scenes camera work and the directors in your ear while you're watching the game. Someone else is chatting to you, so all that sort of stuff nobody really sees or hears. But there's a lot going on, and um and particularly when the camera is on you when you're doing your pregame and and during the you know half time, you literally. There's one commentator, this classic story. He the camera comes on him, uh, and he's a US US guy, Ray Viers, beautiful man. But he freezes and he just doesn't know what to say. And the camera's on and the red light's on and everyone's like know. saying, go, go, go. And he just, he froze for that moment in time. So I've been, you know, been in situations where they're like, okay, Dallin, do the highlights and the camera's on you and you're talking about the highlights and the screen goes black. And you're like, I can't see the highlights. What am I, you just have to carry on going. And even the people are like, oh, that's not the right try. What are you talking about? They don't know that <laughs> you can't actually see what's going on. So there's a bunch of things like that. So I've learned off Brian Visit, former US Eagle captain and a legend, we paired up really nicely together. Um, and then on the Seventh World Series, I mean, there's so many great people and characters. Keith Quinn, he's been around since like 1940. Um, <laughs> and I only, I only joke with him about his age. But he he really the ultimate professional. Him and Nigel Starmer-Smith, who I didn't get a chance to work with, he had retired before I got on the Seventh Series. And then you get, you know, younger legends coming through, like a Sean Maloney. Um, such an amazing voice and the way he's able to articulate himself. 
uh, Rob Bickerman, the, the, the England, former England captain, um, Gianna Penitani, Gareth Reese from Canada, characters like Willie Lose. Willie Lose has, I really love his voice, and he is a character off the field. That man can sink a drink in two <laughs> seconds. And if you happen to hold a drink in your right hand and have a little sip, uh, you have to squash that drink. And he's lethal. We're like, hey, we got to, you know, we're, we're after the games when we're done, we, you know, have a few days off. Obviously, uh, he will certainly punish you for that. One of my favorites is Carl Tanana, uh, the Kiwi. A- absolute great man. We have great chemistry. We definitely make each other laugh. Um, and another one is Mark Robertson, the former Scottish player. After a couple of drinks, um, he, we're always, you know, telling stories and, you know, we're talking about the days we used to be able to run up walls and backflip and land on our feet, which never happened, by the way. And so we'd have to reenact that in our 40s. And so, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of great, great folks. And I mentioned, uh, obviously, Joel Stransky and Santi Gomez Cora. Uh, but when you talk about stories, I mean, there, there, there are obviously some funny moments in the broadcasting world, but the other people might not understand because they don't know, like, that screen goes black or, or one game I commentated uh, in the U.S., I couldn't hear my co-commentator. The audio wasn't synced up correctly. And all I could hear in my ear was the loudspeaker and the person booming, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. And I, that's in my ear at full volume. So I'm trying to concentrate on what I'm saying, watching the game, can't hear the person I'm, talk, I'm talking to. And they're like, what do you think, Dallin? And I don't even know what they said. So there's many little laughs behind the scenes there that obviously uh, not many people are privy to or, or understand that. Um, and uh, But I can't go into all the drinking stories, my friend. <laughs> no. Well, no, that's good. And um, Joe, anybody that springs to mind for you? I mean, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been fortunate enough to spend time with with some interesting names, like not not really extended periods of time. It's often just like you kind of sat there just having a chat, and then that's often the end of it. But um, in 2018, I got to go to team with the PSA Academies, which is Philippe Saint Andre's Academy. So I spent, I think, the best part of a month with him, just chatting about rugby and whatever other nonsense propped up, kind of cropped up and. That was really good fun. France won the, uh, the football World Cup whilst we were in team. We were watching Very that in the good. bar and stuff like that. We were all we were all ordered to wear our blue blue shirts that had been given to us to wear, like as staff. And literally, I just get a text saying, "You have to wear your blue shirt. If you do not wear your blue shirt, you are not going to be allowed in the bar." And I was like, "Okay, so that, that's how this is going. I've been forced to support a country that I'm just not associated with in any sense." Um, and they want it, but luckily, the fact is that because they want it. it we got given alcohol. So that's the other side of that. Um, but yeah, just lots of little stories like that where you're kind of sat there just having a beer or a coffee or whatever with someone. Um, that was a wholly unique experience. Then I've done some seven, sevens events. So spent some time with Rob Vickerman as well. And I mean, trying to think who else. Uh, the sevens boys, I, I went to an event in Chester. I think you might remember this, Dallin. There was an event. There's an event in Chester, which the USA basically hosts. And it's Phil Greening's uh, gym that's adjacent to Chester Rugby Club. And uh, we're basically just there, and for a weekend, just sit. It, it's it's lashing down outside. We just sit in this bar, like not even a bar. We were just sat in like the upstairs of the gym where there's a small coffee shop, and we just we just talk rubbish. We just talk rubbish for two days, and then we're all sat outside, and we're shivering, just literally just shivering in this corner, and we're all just hating life. We 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 really question why we were there. It was one of the worst displays of sevens I've ever seen. Because it was just raining all weekend. Perry Baker kept on dropping the ball. I think Carlin Isles played and he, he was terrible. And everyone had rocked up to see these American superstars that had won, you know, sevens players of the year. And then it just was, it was, it was, it was not a good display, <laughs> especially with an Olympic year at that point. 
So the chest, chest obviously doesn't lean itself to the best seventh uh, conditions, no. you know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, uh, especially if you train in San, from San Diego or wherever you, the U.S. boys train, you know, that's a different story. That you know, but it, that's that's fantastic. But where would you say uh, you, apart from Chester, now one of your beloved places? Where else would you guys say, look, this is where when I go here, or this is where I, I really enjoy. This is a sta- stadium or a club that just near to my heart, or where I feel alive, or just get the v- best vibes, you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would say it, it you know, because events move around the world, right? So the. W- when I was thinking about that question, for me, the Sevens World Cup in San Francisco in 2018 at the Giants Stadium, that oh, was remarkable yes. because it was a baseball stadium where we played, you know, a World Cup Sevens event with men and women, 100,000 people across three days. The atmosphere was electric. It really was a brilliant showcase. Um, on the Sevens World Series, one of the regular stops, Cape Town Sevens to me has a special meaning because, you know, when my parents were still alive, they got a chance to come along and, and experience that as well. And my friends obviously there. And, uh, you know, it's my where I grew up. And so be able to broadcast a game as a South African, you know, slash American back home uh, really was truly amazing. And Cape Town, they deck it out, you know, packed stadium. Uh, everybody's going wild. And then, then the Japanese uh, experience at Rugby World Cup to see so many people come to the game. And, and, and the Japanese culture was, is remarkable. And the people were lining up uh, to go to any games five hours ahead of time. We're getting there to prep for our production. There's no one else there. And they're lining up waiting to get inside the stadium. They just want to fill it out and uh, they're so appreciative of, of rugby. So those 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 kind of stadiums and, and, and experiences were truly remarkable. And then back home in the US, my home stadium, if you will, is uh, at Rugby Town USA at um, in, in Colorado, Glendale, Colorado, because they're the ones that give me the opportunity to start my career and they invite me back each year for the Rugby Town Sevens and any other test matches that they do. Uh, so for me, that has this kind of special meaning. And even though it's a really small 4,000-seater stadium, um, it really does uh, kind of, you know, brings me back to where I started. Awesome. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question because like, I have to think, and then really in the grand scheme of things, I've not been that adventurous with where I've ended up <laughs> when I think about it. Obviously, Twickenham's quite <laughs> special, you know, getting to go to Twickenham, that's quite, it, it's, as a fan, I, don't, I didn't really enjoy it that much, but when you're kind of working there, I enjoyed that a whole lot more. But what I've noticed is with stadiums in England, they're just always cold. Like you never get that. Mm. It's never warm in England is what I'm going to say. So anyone that's listened to this abroad, do not come to a rugby game in England because you will just be frozen. You'll be miserable. But I mean, if I had to pick somewhere that was a bit more adventurous, um, the the stadium in Colomier, where Colomier, the Prodider side play, that's quite special. It's kind of just, it's difficult to explain where it is, to be honest. So Colomier is, is basically a suburban district of Toulouse. Um, and I, I think Fabian Galtier played for, for Colombier once upon a time, and it, it once upon a time was a very big, big club. And I think Santiago Arata, who used to play for um, Houston Sabercats, he currently plays for them. Joshua VC, he definitely does play for them. So there's there's an American link for me and Dallin to kind of harp on for a while at some point. Um, but that's a very special stadium. It's 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 very it's very good. And I was there for a rugby Europe, um, the Olympic qualifying event in 2019, which uh, England one in order to qualify Team GB. And then ever since then, the, the Sevens programme has been going down the, the Swanee very slowly but surely. Um, but then back home, I'd have to say, which uh, my dad's my dad's old club, um, Seg Hill in the northeast, which is a little mining town or a little mining village. Town's maybe too grandiose for it. But um, 
you know that's a that's a very special place and it's just somewhere I go for my family because um when my father passed away it was just where I ended up going so that was just kind of what that's what life was uh and I go there and every time I go there I have a great time uh don't often remember leaving but you know I do enjoy it um I think the last time I, I yeah it was it wasn't pretty let's put it that way but yeah that's that's one of my favorite places to go definitely you're still young, and, eh? And Cordell, I, I, I want to add one more to the the experience. It, like Joe touched on, like Twickenham. You, you're right; it, it has a lot of history and amazing, but it is quite chilly there. Um, the um, the one I'm thinking of is Dubai, because again, it's in the desert, so the weather's always nice. As far as entertainment goes, I would say Dubai. I've only been there a couple times. Um, once when I was playing back in about 2009, but then went back last. Well, no, last year was terrible, 2020, 2019, for their 50th anniversary. And the entertainment factor they have, they've got so many things set up for different sections. So for the kids have their own field. They've got their own uh, water slide, the theme park. Uh, for the, the vets that are playing in the social tournament, they've they got that going on. They've got a bunch of other sports. There's a huge swimming pool. There's obviously huge beer gardens, huge entertainment areas. The amount of things they had there, because they had all the space, I'll say Dubai 7s, if people haven't been to that leg on the, on the stop, very interesting. Of course, you're in you know a place that has like you know, these unbelievable skyscraper hotels, seven-star hotels, then you've got the desert, you can be riding on a camel as well. So that is is, is pretty fascinating, plus an indoor um, ski slope as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't been to Dubai, but certainly on the wish list. Hong Kong sevens, obviously, is on the wish list. Um, if I could name a, sta- a stadium, um, probably go to my beloved Loftus Fairfield, you know, where the Blue Bulls, uh, you know, rocked it for many years and they on their way back. So excited and excited for some of the South African teams coming into, um, you know, the Pro 14, whatever they're going to call it, um, in this Rainbow Cup. So that will be uh, exciting. Um, but anyway, let's talk about, you, you know, your role as journalists and broadcasters or uh, commentators within the rugby landscape what do you think is very very important and i know you um Dallin, that side of you that in terms of make it energetic etc to sell sell the game but what else what what is it that you think is your role and has it changed as well in the last few years yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, to engage new fans, you know, with that passion, with that excitement, that's that's so vital. Particularly being in the US, which rugby is is very much a fringe sport. A lot of new people will be tuning in. For example, now season four of Major League Rugby, who've never seen rugby in their lives, they maybe heard it's like football without pads or it's dangerous. Those are the two things they know. So you do need to engage and bring that audience closer to the game. You don't want to isolate your your current viewers that know the, the the sport, you know. But at the same time, you do want to be able to explain it as well, you know. So, I also think in that it, the the second thing, like in the words of David Brent, you want to be an entertainer, right? So you want to create whether whatever you do in your commentary style, everybody's slightly different. I like to use humor because I think you know it's an important factor to kind of break up a game. As you said, you don't want to be that monotone commentator. You want to bring the excitement. If there's a laugh to be had, definitely have it, right? Because you know what's the point otherwise you know um i also think you know in all of our roles in the sporting community we represent a large community we represent um you know we we, there are so many issues in society today as there have been always but a lot of them come more to light in recent times i think it's important to be an advocate for what is right and for our community you you can't preach the ethics of the game if you don't live by them and if you don't promote them 
So I think those things are vitally important. And and another reason why Rugby Coffee, for example, is an entity that's close to my heart personally, because to give back to the younger generation of players that may not otherwise have the opportunity to play the game and experience what we got to experience, to make friends outside of their immediate circle, to travel the world, to learn about different cultures, um, and to know that everybody is equal and everybody has an opportunity to succeed in life, those things are, are vitally important. And we have an avenue through through rugby to do that. I agree. Totally. Joe? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I, because I see myself still very much at the start of my kind of my role, my, my say in, in, in the kind of the environment. I mean, the rugby landscape is, you know, it extends far beyond beyond me and everything like that. But so I just kind of see it as telling as many stories as possible, really, like because everyone wants to, to hear about. I mean, for example, when I spoke when I spoke to Dallin, like I don't think he or I were entirely certain like how far that article would spread, and I think it got like a few hundred shares. And it was like, you know, people do have an appetite to learn about, you know, people in in America, and you know, I've done stories about Bahrain rugby and like stuff like that, and Hong Kong, and all these places that you wouldn't necessarily think have a thriving rugby community, but they do. Um, so that's kind of what I see it as, and a conveyance of opinion because everyone's going to have differing opinions. I think that's just the nature of life. And that's just the nature of well, being human. That's probably the human condition when you kind of really boil down to it, but that's not that kind of, this is not that kind of a podcast. Um, so you kind of have to just tell the stories, do it in a balanced way, try and make sure that, you know, people, um, you know, people enjoy it. I think that's the main thing for me, just that people enjoy it because if we look at, if you look at statistics and this, that, and the other people don't like reading as much attention spans are lower so you kind of have to do it in a way that does make it engaging and, and, and in a way that people want to, to share it and want to, to consume the content themselves. Definitely. And I think that uh, the values that, like you said, Dylan, if we, if we live by it or if we want to promote it, we have to live by it. And rugby has been making some um, you know, very important steps from world rugby going towards certain things that needs to be addressed and addressing them and and hopefully there's more coming you know and which is very important um but you know you obviously we've we alluded to it in the, in the beginning that there's always especially guys like yourself and anybody who put a comment out on uh, um out on you know the worldwide web, whether it's via social media or whatever, you, you know, you open yourself up, you know, for abuse, first of all, second of all, open up yourself with people who might agree with you. And, you know, but there's, there's, there's the, the ugly side of things, the, the keyboard warriors that's, that's not in it for, you know the game potentially but more um, just uh, making it quite difficult to move um, it forward in a positive way now you must have experienced a lot of that and how do you deal with that yeah so the you're so right the, there's so many keyboard warriors i do like that term you know it, it makes at least a little bit of fun of them they try to make fun of everyone else everybody has an opinion as joe said which you know i think it's interesting because Let's say you have an average group of 100 rugby people who are watching a game. You know, let's say 95 of them have a brilliant experience and absolutely love it. 
generally you're only going to hear from the five that are like, oh, I wish there was a different commentator or, you know, let me put it on mute. And again, I haven't had many of those, but even one of those does, it is hurtful, you know? Mm. Um, and there definitely are random people out there that, but some of the comments are so ridiculous. They are like, for example, you know, uh, the ball's kicked in the air and Fiji knock it on, right? And then there's someone comments like, oh, they deliberately knocked it on so they would lose the game and then they would go and play. I'm like, what are you talking about? So we know these aren't experts and it's not their their, their opinion. Um, but I think at the same time, people say, don't read the comments. It's hard not to when you get tagged or something like that. Um, I've been lucky that there haven't been many of those, um, which is good. And if they are, look, everybody has their opinion. Um, as long as the majority like what you're doing, then you keep getting hired, right? If you weren't doing a good enough job, um, you know, then you obviously wouldn't be in the place that you're doing it. And I think if you lead with, you know, you lead with, uh, you know, your passion for the game and your exuberance and excitement, um, you know, you, you really can't go wrong in that way. Um, technically, if you don't have what it takes, like a player, you would you would be dropped. You know, someone else would take your spot. Um, but I think the fact, you know, that Joe and myself really enjoy what we do and are out there, um, I think they're way more positives than, than the keyboard warriors can get to us, you know? Oh, yeah, like, I think, I think obviously if you're going into a role like what me and Dallin do, you have to have that self-belief anyway. You have to kind of have to believe in yourself that you're capable of doing a role and and that you're kind of competent in doing that role. But it's that thing of like, you could have 10 positive comments and then one's negative and you're going to fixate on the one that's negative, aren't you? And that's just like, that is the bane of our existence. And I think, I wouldn't say I've ever, I've never had that many like negative comments. Like sometimes maybe I've maybe written something that's a bit deliberately contentious to get some, you know, people talking and this, that and the other. But on the whole, like, I think the last time that someone was critical of me, I eventually got them to apologize to me. Like, it's just... I'm always going to stand my ground and that, that comes from that confidence I was talking about before. But it, it has got to a point now where where because social media on the whole is so negative and we saw after the England-Wales game, there was two apologies, not apologies, sorry, two standby these people posts because of social media abuse directed at Sonia McLaughlin and Ellis Genge. Mm. And that's the problem with social media that, that if it's so overwhelmingly you know negative, you just kind of want to turn it off. And that's and before Christmas, to be honest, I, I turn off all like social media notifications. By the way, so that for anyone that's listening and didn't know that, that's why I'm ignoring you. It's not got to do anything with you as a person. It's probably just because I've, I've not looked at my phone. But I just I just don't have them turned on because I sometimes find myself there in the middle of the day like, oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to go on Twitter. And then you're on Twitter for an hour and you just read some negative stuff and it just depresses you. So, like, yeah, it does happen. But like, I even mute all my tweets. Like, I, I don't even really, I don't even really want to. I don't even like seeing the notifications coming through. It just kind of annoys me. Um, and that is, that is a judgment on other people. That's what I will say. <laughs> Look, that's good. You, you're dealing it in a way of being positive, you know, um, bringing your passion to it, um, you know, making sure you don't read all the notifications, you know, um, so you're not engaging too much into it. That's a good way because there's a lot out there. Um but do you need to grow the thick skin as well if you do all of those things that you just mentioned? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think it, yeah. Okay. Like, I think I think because sometimes like it's one of those like where we saw with those things the other week, like Ellis Gens like not clapping because he was fixated on a corner of the principality, like things like that. It, it's just so nonsensical. So when it sometimes feel like you're getting criticism for something that's not really a thing, that's when you need that thick skin to say. These people are upset. These people are just trying to be, you know, horrible for the sake of it. And that's when you need, that's kind of when you need to just say to yourself, well, this is the way of the world. And then just like kind of distance yourself from it because sometimes it, it can just be like, it just, 
can become like literally hours of your life looking at your phone yeah. and your laptop and yeah, whatever device you may time. use. Totally yeah. wasted. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I, don't, I, I thought I'll um, ask you a little bit more uh, about the game, guys. But before we do, you know, rugby coffee. No, both both of you had some of the coffee, and um, Joe, thanks for ordering more. That's great. It's all right, um, Dallin. I know you you mentioned to me you love the coffee. What is it about the coffee apart from what we do extra, the taste, etc.? Um, apart from what we're doing in terms of making sure we're trying to uplift the lives of kids, what is it about the brand and potentially the the, the product itself that you like? Well, firstly, it's great to have a rugby brand that's in the coffee space, right? So that's that's really good. You know, um, I think obviously you guys have done a, a really good job as about selecting, you know, ambassadors for the sport in different parts of the world. I think that's a huge component. Um, sometimes there's nothing wrong with focusing on a small area and a small community, but I really like you guys have gone large and said rugby is a global game. Let's bring across ambassadors in the women's game, in the men's game, and let's tick off all these different areas as well. So I really like that. And again, as I said, the goal, you know, is obviously, you know, with all with all marketing, all products, you know, if, if it's something you consume daily or weekly, you want to have some sort of affiliation to it. And I think it's really nice that there's a rugby affiliation. The names of the coffees are really cool. The crowd favorite, the, you know, the Champions Cup. Uh, you got the French one too. So the, the flair. So the tastes obviously tastes so great. It supports a good cause, which is very important. Um, and you do feel part of a larger community as well. Um, my problem is that I drink so much coffee, I'm going to be out of it so soon. So I need to order order more of it, you know. But I think those kind of things really, really uh, um, make me want to support it, you know. Awesome. Uh, no, I know um, yours has been sent to you because um, we so Pete did it on when on Tuesday, sorry, um, and got it ready today. And then it's been sent to. It'll be gone by Wednesday, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good thing. But um, Joe, you had a juhei juhei, and you use a mocha pot. And now I haven't used the mocha pot at home yet. But um, uh, your video, um, just talking about it, um, made me smile. Made me very happy as well. Um, what do you think of juhei juhei? Well, I mean, it made me smile as well. You know, I, I think. There's not a day that I can remember in recent memory where I've not started the day off by getting that pot. I mean, I don't know where it usually is, like on the side somewhere, probably just been washed the night before. Um, like there's not a day that I don't wake up and get that pot and have a, some coffee. And, and then when the Jure Jure arrived, I was kind of like, yeah, this is a bit of me because I like a dark coffee. I like, I like a dark roast. So it was perfect. And, and you know, I just think it's such a, so this is going to sound a bit daft, but it's such an identifiable, identifiable brand immediately. Like, I don't know what it is about it, but every time I just see like the packaging or even if I scroll past one of your posts quite quickly, obviously I go back up and like it afterwards. But um, like when you see that, it's just recognizable. I instantly go in my head, even if I'm scrolling past quickly, I just go, oh, that's rugby coffee. And yeah, and the Jure Jure is just, that's that's perfect for me. I like I like kind of that, that dark taste because I like a black coffee. Um, I've moved recently into the world of oat milk as well, which I've had okay. with, with the Jure Jure as well, which was actually really rather good, which okay. sometimes you don't know what to expect when you whack milk into random coffees that you buy or, you know, so yeah, it was, it was lovely. And it's, you know, I need to buy some more actually, because I think I ran out the other day. Um, <laughs> that, that's my, that's my levels of consumption at the moment as well. 
Awesome. Now, I'm, I'm, I mean, we've had some five-star reviews, and um, we're very, very happy, obviously, about that. And just just shows you um, the the coffee that was selected and how the people who make it, uh, the uh, the premium you, we put on it in terms of making sure that it's quality coffee is now coming through. And now that we are rolling out into the North American market, you know, and slightly adjusted the profile a little bit, especially to to sort of stick with what we have, but also, um, you know, make sure that the American market will love it. Um, you know, so we're excited about that. And thank you guys for, for um, those comments. But let's go on to the game, you know, the women's game, you know, growing massively. Um, but, you know, obviously there's a lot of, that needs to be done, um, you know, to raise it. And yes, um, there's a there's a few things that that makes it difficult, some obstacles. But um, we had the International Women's uh, Day the other day. Um, you know, people stepping up and saying, "Look, we need to do more." So, what do you guys think about the game, the the health it it's in, um, the quality? And where can we take it, and what needs to be done? Do you want me to take this well, one first, big, Alan? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, big questions. I, exactly. Uh, I think let me answer on the seven side of things, right? That's where I'm more familiar with. Uh, the the it's a very interesting question, and it's a, a difficult answer. Um, it, it, from what I've seen in the last few years, I've enjoyed that the Sevens World Series had made more of a push for the women's game, um, and I know that there is a divided debate whether the men and women's tournaments in the Sevens World Series should be played together at the same venue or whether they should be separate. And I think World Rugby's done a good, you know, a, a good mix with uh, tournaments that, like we did the Dubai and Cape Town Sevens together, but then you know the women had their Langford Sevens separately, the men had Vancouver and they had LA. You know, and so they're, they're different ones there. Um, it is very uh, tricky to satisfy everybody, obviously, on both sides. Um, but I do think the more the woman can play in the larger stadiums when their crowds are full, the more people will change their opinion if their opinion is not a, a positive one about the women's game. I've obviously had an opportunity, a fortunate opportunity to watch a lot of these, uh, the, the high level matches, and it is phenomenal. The talent is exceptional. Um, the, 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 the list of players that, that you could rattle off that are world beaters, uh, is, is truly amazing. And so I think more, the more people that get to watch that, they will change their mind. South Africa is a good example where when I grew up in South Africa, there wasn't a thing as women's rugby. When I came to the US in 2003, my first rugby practice, our men's team had a women's team. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And we had an equal number of w a women playing rugby as men. It was very, it is very popular and has been growing tremendously, obviously, the last two decades. So the fact that South Africa put out a women's seven side recently at the Cape Town Sevens was really exciting. It's a, it's a start of the pathway there for women to be professional rugby players and take on the world. I know my mom would have loved to play, have played rugby back in the day, but it wasn't allowed. It was, it was a, you know, a boys' sport or a men's sport back then. Um, and I know she broke her nose playing rugby with the guys and loved it, carry on playing, you know. So um, I think those kind of things will break down barriers. And I think the media and broadcasting, you know, are, are doing a better job, but we need to keep continuing to promote the women's game, promote these star athletes and raise the game. And they will will create a next generation of young uh, women coming into the sport. And that's the thing. Anybody that watches, you know, in, in the US and a Lev Kelter or Naya Tapper or Christy Kershey, they look up to those players and go, I want to be like that player. And the fact that there are, 
you know, scholarships for rugby available, and I'm talking mainly now in the U.S., obviously around the world, but in the U.S., to get into a U.S. university through rugby, there's only a few people playing the game. So your chances are even higher than going through one of the other sports. So those kind of things, I think, are vitally important for the game. Um, and, and that's just what I'm seeing on the, on the seven side of it, you know? Yeah. And, and when you kind of move to 15s, I mean, if I take kind of the England-focused approach and then we kind of expand that further, it's like, when you look at the way the the club the club game in England in particular has changed since the Premier Fifteens was introduced, um, now the Allianz Premier Fifteens, I should probably say, as some someone's going to get a, a book out of terms at somewhere and say you've said that wrong. Um, I've had a few emails recently, if you can't tell. Um, but basically, as soon as that competition's come in and then they've introduced the professional contracts, it's it's a classic saying that you know if you invest in something, eventually you will reap the reward for it. And um, those contracts in particular have driven the competition of the game so highly because those contracts, they're, you know, they're at a premium. It's 30 players in England are allowed to be professional female rugby players in this country. And that's like, that's a big deal, you know. And if you can get one of those contracts, you're kind of like secured for, for a year and you kind of have to progress at that point as well. Um, and as a result of the Premier 15s and the, and the quality available there, we've seen some brilliant players Moved to England. We've got Banana Capitalists at, you know, at Harlequins. We've seen some Italians. We've seen there's numerous Spanish players playing in Exeter as well as there's Japanese international playing Exeter. So it, it becomes attractive because you see that England rugby are promoting the women's game. They're investing in the women's game because ultimately that's what it comes down to. You, you have to invest in it in order to, to get something from it in the long term, whether that's at the, the very top of the game at the test level or you know, even at just a small club like near me, I, I live near a club called Stafford Rugby Club, who I think is nearly 140 years old, but they've just launched their women's team literally in the last few days. And I think they followed me on Twitter the other day and it was like, bloody hell, this is this is big because women's rugby, even when I was growing up, or girls rugby even wasn't really a thing. I remember I was at a club called Ponteland in the Northeast and I only remember ever playing against one girl. And her dad said, oh, this is our last game because yeah, it's going to contact now and there's nowhere else for her to go. And that seems like now, in the space of probably 15 years since then, that's a huge dynamic shift on in terms of people wanting to play the game. There's actually been a pathway available because in the northeast now they've got they've got Darling they've got what's their name now? It's Darlington Moden Parks team, but they're combined with Durham University, and that's where it all gets a bit confusing. But I think it's I think it's exciting. I think it's the fastest form for uh, fastest growing form of the game. Um, and obviously, we've seen the Rugby World Cups now being postponed till next year. That's probably beneficial in terms of for everyone involved, um, in particular because of the tourism aspect. I mean, Dallin, when you were in Japan, was there ever a hotel that was empty? No, no. There you go. <laughs> so, so in New Zealand, they want people to be going to New Zealand in order to watch the Rugby World Cup, and that, that's another reason it's been postponed because they want to see they want to see the, these stadiums packed to the rafters of people supporting women's rugby because. You know, we talked about Ireland in 2017 been a, a monumental occasion for the sport because I think the TV figures were ridiculous like when it, when it went on to ITV in the latter rounds. And it's just so exciting to think that in just over a year, we're going to get a Rugby World Cup. I mean, I don't think, you know, it, it's a lot better than the prospect of there being no fans and, you know, some unions struggling for money. We still don't know who's actually qualified. It's really, I think it's really exciting. No, and um, you know, being part of the Olympics as a sevens as a sport, you know, you mentioned a couple of names there for the, for the US, um, Naya Tapa, and etc. Those guys are Olympians, and they, um, you know, top athletes, you know, and if that 
doesn't inspire a, a young girl to say, actually, there's different sports out there and I can do that. You know, and we need to do a better job. You're right. You, you guys are right. Um, but um, I'm excited about um, how the graph is going in terms of women's rugby. Um, I'm excited about the talent. I've seen it just in local club here yeah, that I was a part with um, of uh, London Scottish. We started girls rugby there and the people who took it on just grew that and there's some quality players, some of the players at Harlequins now, etc. So, you know, um, and that's in a space of five years, you know. Um, so I'm excited, but the Olympics are coming up hopefully and, you know, that's a chance to sort of um, make sure that that is at the highest level. I know they haven't played much rugby, uh, not many tournaments, but hopefully that's a chance to sort of show showcase it. Um, let's move on. Um, Six Nations this weekend um, is coming up and one of the Le Crunch is on the cards. Joe, I know you've got your videos that you do, but in short, what what do you see happening this this weekend, and how do you see the Six Nations pan out? Do you know what I'm, I, I said earlier that France isn't a country I have an affiliation with. That is a fib. I've obviously sent. I've said previously that I spent time there with with Philippe Saint Andre. I can't I can't turn around and say oh, I'm not associated with France at all. Um, I think you know we talk about the crunch. I think France are in the driving seat in order to take the Six Nations. Um, it doesn't matter really two weeks on that they had the COVID outbreak in the camp because ultimately they're all back in camp and they're all testing negative for COVID-19. So, you know, they're, they're back in. They've got quite an exciting team. Varimi Vakatawa is back in the centres. Dallin, you'll know him from his sevens days, of course. Um, you know, him him and Fiku stretching the midfield, getting the distribution to Peno on one wing, Teddy Tomah on the other with Brice Dulan at fullback. Um, that's, a, that's an incredibly exciting thing. And you can see that Eddie's kind of, for England, he's shifted his mindset. He's given Max Malins a start at fullback. Charlie Yules is in the second row instead of Johnny Hill. And then even Jamie George, uh, because of the line-out woes that they've been having, uh, Jamie George has been dropped to the bench again and Luke Kandicki's starting ahead of him, just as he did against Italy a month ago now. Seems a lot longer, but yeah, a month ago now. Um, I think it's really exciting. I, I'm, that's the game of the weekend for me. Um Maybe that's because I've got an English accent as well, maybe, you know. Um, that's probably a good reason. Um, but then Scotland playing Ireland, that's exciting. Scotland, arguably one of the best defences in the competition and they're playing Ireland too. You know, they do have some exciting backs. James Lowe, of course, he's on the left wing. If he's fit and available, that'd be really exciting. Hugh O'Keenan at fullback. The, you know, the big question we always have to kind of say is, Will Johnny Sexton, is he that durable to make it to the next World Cup? Because he's just signed a contract extension. He's going to be 37 by the time that's over. So that's that's where you kind of start getting question marks. And yeah, then Wales um, are playing Italy. So, I mean, less said about that one, the better probably, to be honest. <laughs> Look, um, just my, my from my point of view, I see Intermac is on the bench. Mm -hmm. That's great to see him back. Yeah. That French team is looking um, that upward curve that they have um so for england to to play this game on the weekend it's massive if they get something out of it you know result that'd be huge you know um and then obviously wales is now what they in chance of winning this as well you know so exciting rainbow cup after that and lions tour yeah lions it's tour quite... in the uk oh. looks like it 
like yeah it, it it's a shame isn't it because i mean everyone talks about the 1997s tour to south africa i've already gone to a very basic point of way looking at this but especially because of the video that came out afterwards it, it became such a special tour and then 2009 serene mcgeekin was back in charge of the lions and it became a bit nostalgic it was very nostalgic is probably the way i'd describe it um and you have to wait 12 years. You have to wait 12 years to get maybe back to your favourite destination because, you know, if we look at New Zealand, obviously that's always going to be on the agenda. And then Australia, maybe these days, you probably do expect to to probably walk away with, you know, the, a, a tall victory. Um, so I think I think it's really exciting. Uh, the, the thing is, it has to be viable for everyone involved um, because... Well, it's just it's just so difficult. It's just so difficult to imagine that Lions tour in England after the country's just been opened back up. I mean, in, in the UK and Ireland. Um, I really don't know what's going to happen with it because it seems like I'll, I'll say one thing and tomorrow we'll find out that mm, it is yeah. going to take place in South Africa. That's 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 sod's law, isn't it? But I mean, for you for you guys, I mean, what what's when you guys had Lions tours previously, in particular 1997, what, what were your memories of that? Yeah, Joe, I, I will say that the Lions is always such a special place, you know, for rugby enthusiasts. And the fact that, you know, the Springboks get to play them, you know, every every 12 years is truly amazing. 97, um, uh, I wasn't at any of the games, but obviously watched them while in South Africa. You know, the crowd was mental. That's what I remember. It's a rare time that you have almost, you have more red jerseys, you have more opposition jerseys supporting, right, the team in South Africa. It was kind of crazy. That I, was, I did, wasn't expecting. Um, it was truly amazing. And then when the documentary came on afterwards, it was really cool living with the Lions to see that, see their take on it um, and what it meant to beat the Springboks. But I'll go to t- 2009. That, of course, was special with South Africa winning. A backstory there. Um, I don't know if you recall Jacques Ferry. He scored a pivotal try when he ran over two or three people. He came on as a replacement and he scored on the right-hand touchline. And and I got an opportunity to have a drink with Jacques Ferry at Japan at the Rugby World Cup in 2019. Andres Becker and him were there. Becker is like a seven foot nine giant and he, he was on the bench as well during that tour. And I asked him about that trial and I was like, he's like, I'll tell you the story why I was able to get over that trial. And, he, and because he was on the bench, him and Dries Becker were, you know, fringe players. Um, they were coming back from injuries and they were basically in the hotel room just eating everything they could because they weren't playing as much, right? So they picked up like five to 10 kilograms each <laughs> and Joffrey credits that to getting over the line by knocking over those defenders and you have the bench, it's being overweight. So I just thought it was a classic story. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, I, I do feel sad for all South Africans and sports enthusiasts if the, it doesn't take place in South Africa. And then, as you said, from a financial point of view, the South African Rugby Union is struggling like any rugby union is and the Lions really does make it worthwhile. Um, and so it, it just, it would be weird. But again, because of what we've seen in the world, you know, you have to, be flexible and you have to be adaptable so you know just hoping it goes ahead is is is, is what yeah. i'm thinking you know i went out of my way to make sure i've got tickets in south africa and now obviously it's probably unlikely but um whichever way it happens you know you got to take it on in context and then go f- go with it and support it as much because it's still going to be the lions it's still going to be the Springboks. whether the lions go to new zealand or australia or south africa it's big um a Rainbow Cup coming up, you know, interesting sort of environment we'll find ourselves in. Um, what do you think about that, Joe? I think it's interesting, isn't it? After the year we've had for, for those, you know, two groups, I'm imagining it's the South African Union that have kind of agreed that deal. Um, for them to have basically turned around and say, 
in the current climate, we are going to send teams to the Northern Hemisphere to play these games. I think that's it's it, it's good because we're going to get to see some interesting rugby. At the very least, we're going to see some interesting rugby. But it's also so telling the financial constraints that they've gone under in the past year because that obviously is massive. Obviously, what helps is the time difference, and it's actually not going to be that awful for people back in South Africa watching and so on and so forth. But it's going to be interesting. I'm definitely going to be watching it. It's you know, it's not often. I've got to be honest. It's not often that I do watch the Pro 14. But in terms of getting to see that and a saving grace is that we did see the Cheetahs and and the Southern Kings actually playing in there the last couple of years, and it shows that it's a formula that works. Um, it, again, and it's a word we've used a lot. It's exciting because it's different and it's going to be completely new. We're, we're not going to have seen anything like that before in terms of domestically, in particular. Um, so I, I think it's going to be an interesting competition. I think the South African teams probably are going to be well up for it as well. I think everyone's going to say, well, you know, the Welsh, the Irish and the Scottish are all at home and the Italians, uh, they're all at home. So it's going to be quite easy for them to adjust to it. But in terms of the South Africans, it's just going to be like a big tour. It's not going to be like, you know, it's it's and it could even be a make or break situation for some of these guys that have Springbok aspirations, for example, because, you know, they might not have ever toured before. They might not have ever done that. And if they thrive whilst on tour, that puts them in the shop window. So there's so many different things to it. But first and foremost, it has to be a business thing that works. And obviously people have said, this is going to make us money because ultimately we want to be competitive again in, oh God, the World Cup's only two years away now. Hmm. No, uh, I, and from my point of view, I think it's very exciting. Um, you know, it will, first of all, for South African side of things, you will start getting to keep players a bit longer before they go overseas. So you're competing in that sense, and then that means you've got more experienced, more quality squads, and that that will pick up the the quality of our sides again, because that's dropped a lot. Um, so it will be interesting to see where we at in terms of you know franchise or club rugby. Um, but yeah, exciting. I th- I think it's a good thing. You know, the world is now uh, this COVID has now opened things up, so we can change a little bit what, what we do in terms of finding out is there a different product out there or is there a product that can, we can adjust or make better. So um, just very shortly, we are entering into the MLR season and this is exciting. And I, I mean, it's been building and I've, I'm so excited about it. I can't tell you because it's different. For me, it's totally different to anything. There's new teams in it. You know, teams are going to play at the, the um, Memorial Coliseum, you know, whatever it's called in <laughs> LA. And, you know, it's just, it's incredible. I know there, there, there's been um, MLR before last season for a little bit and the year before, but now it's getting actually stepping up. So, Dallin, what's, and I know you're going to commentate at um, one of these games um, next weekend. So, What's your take and how, how's it, what's the um, vibe around there? Yeah, well, firstly, I'll say, um, uh, you know, it, it, professional rugby in the U.S. has been talked about for decades, and it's something that just didn't quite get over the line. And so this is really exciting. Two full seasons being played. Obviously, last year was, a, you know, just a few weekends into it. Um, and so this 
technically is season four, but obviously the, the third real season. Um, so that's really good that it's getting momentum. There's getting interest from, from a bunch of different cities and franchises. So Los Angeles will be their first season. Really, really cool. Dallas, uh, Texas will be joining next year, which is good. They were set to, to go this year, but COVID and everything else maybe put them back a bit. Um, so that's really great. And the fact that there is also a Canadian team in the, in the league is really good for North American rugby as well. Um, and so, it's all very positive signs. I think what this is going to help will help the national team, obviously, tremendously. Gary Gold, the U.S. coach, um, preparing for the next World Cup. I think they'll still be so-so at the World Cup, but come 2027 and 2031, the U.S. will finally be in a the same league as Japan was in this past World Cup where they can compete with some of the nations in the world and perhaps cause some big upsets. I think that's what everyone's excited about. The big thing, I think, is the broadcasting side of it. And we mentioned in the women's game, exposing the game to more people. Well, Major League Rugby is, is is fairly unknown so far, but it's going to be on two major networks, CBS Sports Network uh, and Fox Sports, two huge networks here in the U.S. with millions and millions of people watching uh, week in, week out. So some games will be on there. Um, and of course, we'll have an international following as well with players from all over the world represented. So that is really exciting. I actually will be, I won't actually be at the Coliseum just as an inside tip because we're doing a new broadcasting model this year. We're recording the games remotely. So uh, there'll be a group going to Indianapolis and a group going to Austin, Texas to call some games. But I will be calling the LA game against New England, which is really exciting. Very different though, because you're not at the, at the, atmosphere and you know you only have a small screen to look at um so uh, so that's so hold off keyboard warriors that's all we get to see <laughs> for that one um but i think i think as a whole everyone's just raring to go and, and really excited the game is going there are far-reaching effects on the sport here in terms of you know the youth that are getting picked picking up the game because of these new teams and franchise investing money in the local communities that is huge you know you go around here where i relocated to new england and if you wear a new england rugby stuff Every now and again, people will stop you and be like, hey, that's the rugby team. Mm. And so the awareness is happening. And I think that's the biggest thing because, you know, Japan know about rugby right now. The U.S. is still learning about it. Um, so so Major Rugby is definitely going to put it on the map. Yeah, exciting. I, I mean, the, the kit that um, that's out there, the merchandise, it's, you know, you can't get it better. You know, Americans and the North American sort of market knows how to do that stuff. So that's exciting. And, and like you say, if you're outside walking with that stuff, people are looking at it and say, well, you know, and that's good. Um, yeah, so we've got DTH from America, our other brand ambassadors. Uh, you know, he's got Matt Gitto and his team. He's got Adam Ashley Cooper and his team and that back line. You know, just the three of them already, the experience that they get out of that with, you know, it, it's exciting. And then you've got people like Rob Shaw at San, uh, uh, San Diego, the Legion, um, you know, um, Andy Ellis up in New York, you know, it's amazing. Um, yeah, so we're excited. So thank you very much, gents. I'm, I know we're, all, we're 20 minutes over what we know, wanted to. So I'm sorry about that. But really a big pleasure to, to chat to you around these topics and yeah very excited and we wish you guys all the best for uh you know the weekend calling the games doing reports etc and then next weekend as well dylan um, well, Corner, first I want to I want to say thank you, and and again, only twenty minutes over when you have got a journalist and a broadcaster here. That's not bad. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? You know, <laughs> no, brilliant guys, and um, thank you very much for your time, people. Um, subscribe um, to our coffee. Um, rugby coffee is going to be available in uh, the North American market at the end of the month. We will run a pre-order campaign um, over here in the UK. We send it out to Europe. 
etc. Um, so uh, rugbycoffee.com. And yeah, let us know what you think. Thank you, guys. Have a good weekend of rugby. Thank you, Corne. Thanks, Thank Joe. You. Thank you very much.